Ridge. Welcome to week three of Interruptible Life. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how Jesus modeled an interruptible life, how he allowed space for a divine interruption that led to divine opportunity, which ultimately led to divine moments. We've seen how he prepared for interruption, how he responded to interruption, and even how he used interruption. And that's really important because as the opening video once again reminds us, our life is filled with interruption. All kinds of things press in on us in all different spaces and places. And those things can and do distract us from our intended tasks. But they're not inherently bad. Interruption can be invitation. And the followers of Jesus know how to turn interruption into opportunity. We know that from a couple of things in Scripture, but one thing in particular comes from something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's, here's what it says in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's saying we are created by God and for God, and that there are specific things that God has prepared for us to engage in, these good works, and when we live by faith through Jesus Christ, we can engage those things. But when we bump into those good works prepared in advance, they can often feel like random interruption. And it can be really hard to embrace those interruptions when we don't know how to do that or we don't know the difference between a divine interruption and a disruptive one. Now, one of the ways we've been trying to understand how to live an interruptible life is with the help of this diagram, where each of us have been given a life to live, but that life is filled with lots of interruptions that press in. But when we understand our purpose and we live in a posture of prayer, well, then we can navigate life by faith and we can do so with confidence even amidst all the interruptions. Because an interruptible life is purpose-driven, it's prayer-based, and it's faith-filled. Jesus lived this way. He modeled this for us. He, he entertained interruption, but he also welcomed interruption. And he calls us to do the same. Now, here's the deal. Not every interruption is an invitation from God, but I believe there are often more opportunities in those interruptions than we may realize. And we experience interruption all the time. Every day, every day, we get asked questions, we face information, there's surprises, and more. And we've actually gotten pretty good at juggling lots of different things. Maybe you can think of a person who is really gifted at what we call multitasking. Someone who is able to do two or more active tasks simultaneously. Can you think of somebody in your life that's able to juggle those things? Maybe, maybe you're someone who can do that. Where you're, where you're just juggling more than one thing in a given space. I think often when we think of multitasking, we think of people like our moms, like, like this mom in this picture. See, we celebrated our moms last week, but I gotta tell you, moms are people who are really good at juggling multiple tasks. Let's take a look a little closer at this mom. Her name is Melissa, and you can see now that she has her son Jordan on her back in a backpack, Addison on the front, she's holding her camera, while she's taking pictures of the high school football game where her husband coaches, and she's holding not one, but two bottles in that same hand. That's impressive. Now, as great as that is, I got to tell you, I work with some of the best people in the world on the ministry team here at Heritage. They are gifted, and I don't like to brag, but and some of them are able to do multiple tasks like no other. Let me just give you one example. This is my teammate, 
Matt Fry, and, and Matt is our media specialist, and he's responsible for a number of media items, including all of the videos that you see around our network. And he is clearly busy at work at his desk, but can you see how busy he is, how many things he has going on? Let's take a closer look at this. You see, he has two computers open and running with multiple tabs and programs running simultaneously. Two computers. But then he also has two handheld devices, iPod, iPhone, whatever, off to the side while he's also simultaneously downloading from a hard drive uh, files and other things for his project he's working on. At the same time, on the phone, while listening in a headset to the audio off the video or the music that's on his computer. And you can't see it on the screen, but underneath his desk, he's actually making a sandwich with his toes. <laughs> it's impressive. He's doing like eight things in that space. And we all know people who can juggle and manage multiple tasks. But the, the scientists who research this kind of stuff, they actually say there, there's no such thing as multitasking. They say we can't do it. What they say we're really doing is a thing called switch tasking or background tasking. Where we'll engage in one activity and then switch to another. We go back and forth, in and out, starting and stopping. You may say that seems like semantics, but the reality is we can't do two or more active tasks simultaneously. We're, we're actually switch tasking. They say maybe 2% of the population can get to that truly multitasking dynamic. But most of us, we're, we just become really adept at switch tasking, going back and forth, switching from one thing to another. We're not good at multitasking. We try it though, and we do it every day. We, we, we do email and phone calls and projects, and sometimes we're on a phone call while doing email and a project at the same time. I mean, we can all do more than one thing. That we, we, can, we can drive and talk, we can walk and talk, and some of us can even walk, talk, and chew gum at the same time. We can, we can all do multiple things in any particular given space, but we're really not multitasking. We're switch tasking. And we're getting more and more accustomed with doing it. In fact, they say about 60% of us multitask or switch task while watching TV. 60%. And roughly the same percentage of people multitask or switch task in church. Now, I'm not just saying that because I deliver the sermons and all, you know. I'm just saying because it is. Look, even though we're not very effective at doing it, we try to do it all the time. We're, we're not as effective as we think or as, as effective as we tell ourselves. All we have to do is recall the last time that we looked up from our phone at the person standing in front of us and said, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? <laughs> Let's do this, though. I'd like to take 90 seconds to do a pretty fun but insightful exercise that'll get us into the truths out of Scripture today. So if you have your notebook, I want to go ahead and just grab it for me and turn to page 3. Because on the bottom of page 3, you'll see four lines down there. And if you don't have a notebook, it's totally okay. Grab any piece of paper. Grab a piece of paper. Draw some lines on it. You want to create four spaces like you see here on the screen. You got a piece of paper, you got the note guide and a pen. In a moment, wait till I tell you to start. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to write the statement, interruption is invitation on the top line, in that top space. Interruption is invitation. Don't do it now, wait till I tell you to start. Then right after that, I want you to write the numbers 1 to 24 on the second line in the second space. So when I tell you to start, you'll write interruption is invitation, then you'll turn around and you'll write the numbers 1 to 24. You continue to do that until you're done. 
Now, as we do, I'm going to time you, so get ready to go and starting on this. Bettendorf, Kiwani men, get in. We're going to start on to give you enough time to make this happen, about 30 seconds or so. It's plenty. So, oh, hang on just a second. Got to respond to a text here. LOL. There we go. All right. See, we don't multitask. We switch task. But here we go. Ready to start? You're going to write the statement, then you're going to write the numbers. On your mark, get set, go. Ten seconds. Fifteen. Twenty seconds. Twenty-five. Twenty-eight. Twenty-nine. Thirty. Okay, go ahead and stop. And go ahead and mark down the time it took you to complete that task. Right, just write it off to the side. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to do that again, except this time we're going to simulate multitasking or switch tasking. We're going to write the same statement, and the number's 1 to 24, but every time you write a letter, you need to write a number. So you write I, you write 1. You write N, you write 2. You write T, you write 3. Every time you write a letter, you write a number until you finish the statement and you finish the numbers. Does it make sense? Are you ready to go? Here we go. I'm going to give you a little bit more time for this one, but so here we go. Ready, set, go. All right, 15 seconds. Twenty-five seconds. Thirty seconds. Keep going. Keep going. You got this. Don't give up. You can do it. Forty seconds. Forty-five seconds. You're almost there. Forty-nine. Fifty. Here we go. Getting close. 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. All right, stop. You're not finished. Give up. <laughs> Give up. All right. How was that? Oh, that was horrible, wasn't it? Man, switch tasking, multitasking, we're just not as effective in it. We think we're good at it, but we're really not. And, and we're just, when we're not as focused, we're not as functional. We don't function as well without focus. Yet we try to lean into that. That switch tasking, it robs us of, of time and energy and effort and even our sanity. Because here's the thing. You realize in that, those two simple tasks, in that 90 seconds, we realize a couple things. When we try to multitask or switch task, it increases our time. It takes more time. Some of you nearly doubled or more your time from the first round to the second round. It, it increases time. But here's the other thing. It decreases quality. It decreases quality. Some of your handwriting is horrible the second time around. Some of you got the wrong letters and wrong numbers, and some of you even ended up with more than 24 numbers at the end of that. It, the time goes up, quality goes down. But here's the other thing. Stress goes up. Stress goes up. See, we, we really can't multitask, but we exhaust ourselves trying to do it. And it's not great. But here's some good news about it all. Living an interruptible life is not about multitasking. Living an interruptible life is not about multitasking. 
An interruptible life is not multitasking. It's about a willingness and a readiness to allow space for divine interruption that leads to divine opportunity that leads to divine moments. It's allowing space to engage, to experience, even space to create interruption for something divine. Living an interruptible life is not about multitasking. It's allowing space for the interruption. And and knowing the difference makes us more productive. It allows us to stay in step with God and it can even lower our stress because the pressure comes off. Everything shifts and we can actually embrace the interruption and we know how to live an interruptible life. But actually, let's take a look at this, an example in the life of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, scriptures are in the note guide as well as here on the screen. We started this journey in Mark 1. We jumped to Mark 5. And and today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, which is actually a scripture we looked at about a year and a half ago in part of our Bold Moves series. We started to step into greater spaces and places so more people could know Jesus. As we stepped into schools and prisons and and new opportunities to create space so that others can come to know Christ. I got to tell you, I I love how God has continued to go ahead of us in that journey. I love that I get to serve alongside a church that's willing to risk so more people can know Jesus. And we looked at this passage and we rolled out some of those concepts and we're coming back to it today. So we're, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, which is the story of a man by the name of Bartimaeus. And, and in my Bible, the heading says, Blind Bartimaeus Receives His Sight. But I think a better title might be Blind Bartimaeus Received Wholeness as he and Jesus lived an interruptible life. <laughs> Except I think that's probably too wordy, which is why they didn't use it. But we're picking up a moment where prior to this, not, not much earlier, the disciples tried to stop interruption in Jesus' life. They tried to stop children from coming to him, people bringing children to him. And he actually corrects them and rebukes them. They don't stop the interruption. Let those children come. But then there's a rich young man who comes before Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's another interruption moment. Shortly after that, two of his disciples come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, we would like to sit in a place of significance to your left and right in your reign. And it's an interruption based on their agenda. But we're going to pick up in verse 46 right after that with another interaction and another interruption. And we're going to walk and talk through the scriptures, so we're going to stop and and engage a couple things as we go. But you can follow along in your own Bible or in your note guide or up here on the screen as we do. We're, We're picking it up at verse 46 in Mark chapter 10. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, we don't know how long he'd been there, how many days he'd come and gone, but it's likely this was his daily routine, where he would show up and he would beg for food or money from the people and the crowds that were passing by. In some sense, every day, he was creating interruption in the lives of the people around him as he would beg. But this day is actually going to be a little bit different because of how he engaged in interruptible life, but also one other person and how they engage in interruptible life. See, he hears some noise and some commotion. And in verse 47, we can read, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. Now, Luke records this interaction, and he identifies that Bartimaeus had to ask what was going on. And the people around him said, well, it's Jesus. Now, what they told him was it's some guy from Nazareth, but it's very clear how Bartimaeus responds that he knew Jesus was more than that. That he knew that this was a a moment that he needed to risk or miss the chance in it. 
that, that he needed to do something to create an interruption to experience the divine opportunity that could lead to a divine moment. And so what he does is he shouts out. He actually creates an interruption by yelling. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now, a few weeks ago, we actually stopped to understand the difference between mercy and grace. And it's really important to know the difference because we, we need both. Mercy is God withholding what we deserve. Grace is, is him giving us what we don't deserve. We need to know the difference and we need to receive both. Bartimaeus is asking for mercy here. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. <laughs> How many times have you been shushed in your life? <laughs> Told to shush and be quiet. That's what's happening here. How many times? We've all experienced being shushed, whether it's loving or unloving, whether it was right or wrong. We've all experienced having someone shush us. <laughs> and in this moment, it, it appears to be the people shushing Bartimaeus, not the disciples, which would make sense to me because 30 verses earlier, they just got schooled on how to respond to interruption by when they were trying to stop the kids from coming to Jesus. They, in some ways, would have learned their lesson. And so the people, I believe, are the ones saying, stop this. But, but Bartimaeus is not deterred. Actually, Scripture says that he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, catch the nuance in what he's saying. When he says son of David, he's pointing to the family tree of Jesus. He's saying, look, I know you're Messiah. He's saying, I know who you are and I believe in who you are and therefore I ask. And that's significant in this moment. There's an element of knowledge that's, that's shown and proved out in faith as he declares what he's doing. So what I find interesting in this interaction, you've got Bartimaeus throwing interruption in and you've got the people interrupting him. But in the midst of that, he persists and by what he says, he's declaring belief, he's declaring trust, and he's declaring submission in his asking to Jesus. It's a powerful moment, and we're about to see two things that help us understand how to live an interruptible life. One of them ties back to something we talked about last week, that whenever God interrupts, he's always looking to intervene, always looking to intervene when he interrupts. And the truth is that when God interrupts, he's creating opportunity. And when he intervenes, he's creating space for miracles, divine moments. That's happening in this space. We're going to see that play out. That's first. The second is, is a different reality. And it's your next fill-in in your note guide. That faith and obedience are catalysts of divine intervention. Faith and obedience are the catalysts of the divine intervention that leads to divine moments, those divine miracles. Many people try to believe without obeying. And then there are some who try to obey without believing. But believing without obeying is not real faith. It's empty. And trying to obey without believing is really just pointless performance. It doesn't work. It's faith and obedience that lead to divine intervention. And it is, it is faith alone that saves. Faith in Jesus. But that saving faith is never really alone. It always leads to action. It always leads to good deeds. In fact, it leads to the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Faith and obedience are the catalyst of divine intervention. So let's take a look at what happens next. Let's continue in the scriptures. Verse 49, Jesus stopped. He stopped. Now the King James Version says, he stood still, which I love that imagery. 
Picture the dynamic. You had this huge crowd passing by. There's all the hustle and bustle involved. You got the, the yelling of Bartimaeus and the yelling and the shushing of the people back. And in all that chaos and all the interruption, Jesus stands still. He pauses. Pauses to pray, to find out is this a divine interruption or a distracting one? Is he pausing for the right moment, for a, a timing, to, to respond in the right way at the right time? I, I don't really know, but what I do know is he decided to entertain the interruption as an opportunity. He paused. He didn't keep going. He didn't multitask. He stopped. He stood still. And sometimes all it takes for a divine interruption to turn into a divine opportunity, which turns into a divine moment, is the willingness to stop, the willingness to stand still. And that's what Jesus was doing. Once he stops, he then says, call him. Now, in a similar way, as we looked at the story of Jairus, who came to get Jesus to heal his daughter, Jesus could have healed Jairus' daughter from afar, but he didn't. He actually goes to Jairus' house. In In the same way, Jesus could have healed Bartimaeus right from where Bartimaeus was, but he didn't. Part of that is because coming to Jesus is essential to wholeness. Coming to him is essential for experiencing the wholeness that comes from being in his presence. You know, we may want to become often more than we're willing to simply come. Many of us think that way. We, we want to become more, more than we're willing to come and be. It's an idea of achievement over identity and purpose. But that's not Bartimaeus. That's not his mindset. Check out what happens next. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Now, it appears to be the very same people who just moments ago were shushing him, which is interesting to me. But again, we know people can run hot and cold with us. They can treat us one way in one moment and one way in another moment. But here's the thing. It's how we respond to Jesus that matters most. And that's what Bartimaeus does. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, what I love about this is how he responds. Here is a blind man who actually jumps up, throws aside one of his very few possessions of value and runs in some direction towards Jesus. Now, I don't know if he's running towards the sound of Jesus' voice or if he's bumping into people in the crowd and they're just parting so he's going wherever he can get, but he is going because he knows that coming to Jesus is the space of wholeness. He knows he's got to cast aside that thing that he values, that thing that represents his life of begging and being blind. He throws that thing aside and he jumps to his feet and he runs to come to Jesus. And what I think often in our own lives, the issues we face The pain we carry, the burdens we bear are often the things that we're unwilling to cast aside, but they are the things that keep us from coming to Jesus and experiencing wholeness, experiencing healing, and experiencing hope. If we would just come to him, we would experience more than we realize. We'd cast off that thing we think is valuable and choose him as having more value. It would matter more. Lots of people want Jesus to help them become someone more than they want to be someone who simply comes to him. They want to be more than they want to come and be and end up sitting in lesser lives rather than stepping out by faith 
into wholeness. See, one of the realities in this interruptible life paradigm is that we walk and see by faith or we sit and see nothing. We walk and see by faith or we sit and see nothing. We, we walk and see by our faith or we sit in our longing, in our desires, in our brokenness, in our shame, in our fear, and nothing changes. We either need to be willing to take the risk in an interruptible life or we miss the chance. We walk and see by faith or we sit and see nothing. Had Bartimaeus chosen to just sit there and not come to Jesus, it's likely Jesus would not have healed him. He had to cast aside anything in the way and run literally and spiritually by faith, not by sight. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Bartimaeus is doing that both physically and spiritually in this moment because he knows coming to Jesus is essential to wholeness. But I realize you and I may experience things in life where we, we just don't agree with God's timing. We don't agree with where he heals or doesn't heal. We don't agree with what he allows or doesn't allow, the experiences that are positive or negative in our lives. But regardless of whether we agree or not, coming to Jesus is essential for wholeness. It doesn't happen apart from him. And faith and obedience are the catalyst of seeing that happen. It's a theologian, A.W. Tozer, that really says it pretty well. He says, a world of confusion and disappointment results from trying to believe without obeying. He's right. Man, we struggle in this life. We get frustrated and irritated with God because we're waiting for Jesus to come and heal us on our terms. And really what he wants us to do is run to him on his terms. And we get frustrated because we're not, we're not combining faith and obedience. But it's faith and obedience that are the catalyst of divine intervention for us and for others. And we see it here in the story of Bartimaeus. We, we see it here in the idea of an interruptible life that is purpose-driven and prayer-based and faith-filled. And in this dynamic, Bartimaeus and Jesus are, are actually both living interruptible life elements. There's this giving and, and taking, exchanging moment that's taking place. Let's take a look at what actually happens as they interact. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Well, that's a, that's a great question. Jesus is inviting more. He, he's already cried out for mercy, but Jesus is saying, hey, what else? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, more accurately, what he says is, Rabbani, that I may see again. He actually uses the term Rabbani, not Rabbi, because Rabbani is, is a stronger expression of Rabbi. It means my master, my Lord. It's more intimate. It's more connected. And when he, when he says Rabbani, he's demonstrating humility and submission and, and coming before Jesus as master. But in addition to this, what he's actually saying is more literally, I want to recover my sight. I want to see again. Which means he once had sight, but he lost it. And he's trying to, re, to experience the wholeness that can come from being in the presence of Jesus. So let's take a look at what happens, keeping in mind that faith and obedience are the catalyst of divine intervention. So verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So this is a great moment. It's a great example of an interruptible life. But something I want you to see is that the greatest gift Bartimaeus received that day was not his sight. The greatest gift he received was restored purpose in the presence of Jesus. Restored purpose in the presence of Jesus as he allowed himself to live an interruptible life. See, when we truly come to Jesus, we don't come to him for healing. We don't come to him for wealth. We don't come to him for success. We come to him, truly come to him for him. We come to get him. 
And those things can get added into it on top of it. But when we truly come, we come to be with, not to become. I heard a leader just say this week that Christ didn't come just to heal our bodies. He came to save our souls. He he didn't just come and live and die just to bring healing into our life. He came, lived and died to save our souls. He is more than able to heal physically. He has done it. He is willing to do it in the future. He did it here with Bartimaeus, but he didn't come to heal us physically. He came to save us spiritually. He came to seek and save the lost. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. He came that we would have life and life to the full. He came not for us to become, but for us to be with. And that's one of the reasons why when when Bartimaeus is told that he could go his own way, he actually decides to do what? He decides to follow Jesus. He follows him along the road, which is actually pretty significant when you consider where Jesus is going. He's going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. It's, It's a powerful moment of two people living an interruptible life. Look, we all lose things along the way in this thing called life. We lose our health. We lose our innocence. We lose relationships. We lose hopes. We lose dreams. We we all lose things. But in Jesus, that which is lost can be found. That which is broken can be restored, even including our purpose. We all lose things. But if we're going to experience wholeness, we must let him interrupt us and come to him. To allow the interruption and come. The way we come is to cry out to him, have mercy on me. The way we come to him is to ask of him, but then also to step into submitting to him as Lord, receiving his authority in our life. You know, in the back of your note guide are simple steps that explain that reality, how to come to Jesus. It involves admitting and asking and saying yes to his lordship. And this is, if this is something you've not ever done, or maybe you did it once but you've wandered a bit, I want to encourage you today to consider right where you're at praying the prayer that's listed on the back of that note guide because it is the way by which we come. And to come to Jesus is the most direct path to wholeness. You can do it right where you're at, wherever you're at, across our network. You can pray that prayer and you can come to Jesus and begin to experience wholeness. It's the most direct path but it is also the path to an interruptible life, living an interruptible life. So with that in mind, let's actually go back to the very first scripture passage we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2, but I want to back up to verse 8. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Look, if you have prayed the prayer on the back of the note guide or you're getting ready to, this is what happens. It is a gift that you receive. You receive eternal life. You receive the gift of forgiveness. You receive wholeness. It's not something that's earned. It is received by and through Jesus as we live by faith. That's the beauty of what can happen or just happened as you prayed that prayer just now. But what's about to be said next that we looked at earlier is the why behind the what. Take a look. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created by God and for God 
And he has created good works for us to do as we live out of the relationship we have by faith. It's the space by which divine interruption can become divine opportunities that turn into divine moments. Faith is the key in that. And God has prepared specific works, specific opportunities for you to engage in for divine purpose, for divine moments. Those are the good works. They can come at home. It can be at work. It could be at the store, even along the road, just like what happened with Jesus and Bartimaeus. They are prepared in advance, but they're experienced as interruption in the present. And if we don't understand how this works, those good works that we bump into feel like those random interruptions and we try to avoid them rather than stepping into them where they become opportunities that lead to divine moments. We don't understand he's prepared them and we bump into them, we can avoid them. But if we don't and we embrace them, then those divine interruptions become divine opportunities that lead to divine moments. Look, if we think about the people involved in this exchange with Jesus and Bartimaeus, we're really talking about Bartimaeus himself. We're talking about the crowd of people gathered around and moving and milling around. And then we're also talking about Jesus, who, who is on his way to Jerusalem. He's got a purpose. He's living out that purpose, and it's very clearly defined by the Lord. He's given the task. And then you have the people that are around in that dynamic, pushing, shoving, asking questions, creating interruptions, doing their own things. But then you have Bartimaeus, who is actually seated in a posture of wanting to get and he's begging for food or money in that space. And he's, he's got his life in front of him and he's trying to make the most of it and just whatever it is. This is the scenario we just read, but what I'd like to do is look at this from a perspective of an interruptible life. See, Bartimaeus, every day he gathered, would interrupt the crowd as he begged. I don't know how successful he was in that or how good he was at it, but this is what he would do to survive. But on one particular occasion, he hears something else is going on. He hears the commotion, and so he creates another interruption that actually is, is stopped or blocked by the crowd when they shushed him. But in return, as they shush him, they're actually creating an interruption towards him, saying, hey, be quiet, knock it off. Yet he's not deterred in that space. He actually is inspired to create even greater interruption, yells all the more. And here's where this whole thing begins to change. Jesus stops. He stands still. And this whole thing goes from a divine interruption and starts to turn into a divine opportunity for a divine moment. Because what Jesus does in response is he creates an interruption that he actually sends back to the people. Tell them to come. He doesn't yell to Bartimaeus. He yells at the crowd who was missing the interruptible life moment, who had the wrong perspective of what was to happen. He invites them to shift their thinking and get involved and say, hey, you call them. And so they do. And then actually what happens is Bartimaeus has this moment where he's going to stop and make a decision of how to respond to the interruption. And what he does is he begins to take part in that divine opportunity turning into a divine moment because he is already living by faith but he's about to demonstrate that and move into obedience. And it's faith and obedience that lead to the divine intervention. So he steps from here into a space where he throws aside his, his, his possession and he runs to Jesus and Jesus continues to interact with him and engage him in this beautiful interruptible life moment. 
But what I want you to see and understand in this is that this is the space for wholeness. And in this space, three specific things happen. There is an element of focus, there is an ask, and there is a next. And in this space, both, both Jesus and Bartimaeus engaged those three realities. Bartimaeus focused on Jesus, made the ask of Jesus, and then jumped up and ran into his next. Jesus stood still and focused on Bartimaeus, asked him a question, and lived into his own next in that space. And what ends up happening as a result is that Bartimaeus doesn't continue to live up here. He actually, out of this, his next is to walk with Jesus in a space moving forward along the road. His whole life has changed. And this can actually look like something that is fairly messy and complicated. And, and it, it actually is because it is an interruptible life. This is an interruptible life. It is complicated. It is messy. But it's responding to moments out of a posture of prayer. Interruptible life is established in prayer. We enter, it's how we navigate all the complexity of this. And we respond. Look. So what? what? What do we do with this? Well, Jesus never looked at any person as an irritating interruption or, or an annoying problem. He, he looked at every person, no matter who they were, in every moment, every scenario, as, as important and meaningful. And he looked for the opportunities in the interruption. And I see three things that allow us to live an interruptible life today by understanding the interruption here. We can actually live like Jesus and live with Jesus in an interruptible life posture. They connect to the embrace, the, uh, the space that Jesus and Bartimaeus both engaged in. The first is simply this, to give undivided attention. To give undivided attention. Living an interruptible life is not about multitasking. It, it's not about trying to do more than one thing at a time, but about the, doing the right things at the right time. And if we're going to be ready for that, we need to have a posture of prayer. If we're going to turn interruptions into opportunities, it will require stopping and giving focused attention. First to God in prayer, asking and consulting, and then second to whoever or whatever he has brought in front of our paths, our undivided attention. Jesus did this with lots of people. We see it in his interaction with Bartimaeus. Give undivided attention. It's focus. The second reality is that we need to make the right ask. After pausing, after standing still, after focusing in that dynamic, what we ask of God or what we ask of those around us is important. And it may seem odd that Jesus would ask what Bartimaeus wanted or needed because it was clear he was blind, but Jesus wasn't asking to know what he needed. He was asking to create the space for Bartimaeus to ask because that whole, interrupt, that whole interaction really is an expression of what prayer is. What, what Bartimaeus was doing with Jesus is what we can do with Jesus today when we pray. He's talking to Jesus, and we can talk to Jesus, and what we ask in that space is important. How we ask in that space is important, because Jesus hears by prayer, he responds by prayer, he delivers by prayer. So have undivided attention, but also make the right ask, and then take the next step. Third is take the next step. If Bartimaeus had just remained where he was, didn't get up, didn't run, and come to Jesus, he likely would not have been healed. But instead, he chose to cast aside that which was valuable to him and choose to place greater value on proximity to Jesus. And he chose to come. He had to walk by faith, not by sight, literally and spiritually. He had to come to Jesus for that divine interruption to become a divine opportunity that led to a divine moment. And Jesus did the same. 
Both Jesus and Bartimaeus focused, asked, and stepped into next. Faith and obedience are the catalyst of that divine intervention. And let me tell you, your next may be to persist in prayer. Your next may be to continue to ask Jesus, cry out to Jesus, ask Jesus for mercy, ask Jesus to intervene in a particular space. It may be to persist in pursuing good when others are discouraging you. Bartimaeus didn't have a whole lot of tact, but he had persistence, and that made all the difference as he lived by faith and obedience. And your next may involve walking and enduring in spaces where there's interruption from others, but to persist in seeking Jesus, to create interruption to pursue Jesus, to give undivided attention, to make the right ask, and ultimately take the next step. So the question I think that we can each process today out of this conversation is simply this, where do you need to stop to be part of something divine? Where do you need to stop to be part of something divine? What do you need to stop to be part of something miraculous? Where do you need to stop multitasking to be part of something beautiful or exceptional or good? What do you need to stop to be part of something divine? Like Bartimaeus' cloak, what thing have you placed value on that, that he want, God wants you to set aside? But instead, you're, you're sitting in a space where you're frustrated and irritated with Jesus because you want him to come to you and, and on, on, his, on your terms, but he's waiting for you to run to him on his. Where, where do you need to stop in order to be part of something divine and come to him, run after him for you or for somebody else around you? You This question boils down to how we respond in this space and this space here. Where is God asking you to stop and stand still so something miraculous can happen in somebody else's life? Or where is he asking you to respond in faith and obedience so that something miraculous can happen in your life? Living an interruptible life is not about multitasking. It's about allowing the space for the interruption to become an opportunity and the opportunity to become a divine moment. And I guarantee he wants to do these things in your life. If you'll respond to him and come to Jesus, you'll begin to see them in lots of areas you've not yet seen before. Where do you need to stop? Where do you need to stand still in order to be part of something divine? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that in a world with lots of interruptions, you are still waiting and ready to interact with us that you even bring interruption into our lives because you're wanting to create opportunity for something miraculous. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are patient with us. And I thank you that when we step by faith combined with obedience, you intervene. And when you intervene, miraculous things happen. So Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us, my brothers and sisters across our network, to know where we need to stop in order to become part of something divine. Where we actually need to stop multitasking and focus Make the right ask and step into our next boldly by faith, even if we can't see it all by sight. So Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for the example of Bartimaeus and this interaction with Jesus. May we live an interruptible life this week for your glory and your glory alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.